and welcome to episode six of the Brood Sages. I know, listeners, I'm just as shocked as you are that we've made it this far. I am Freeloader and joined as always, I am with Sabaiku and Arthas. Guys, how is it going? Fantastic. I'm doing really great. <laughs> All right. Well, it's just after the first of the month. So guys, how has the week gone for you? Sabaiku, how was your week? It's been pretty interesting, uh, thanks to the recent nerfs and buffs i've been trying out some new cards trying out a deck that i have always wanted to play but never really had the levels to mm. I've been trying a edric swarm dark harvest deck which is um not working out fantastic <laughs> for me but it's not losing me a ton of games uh i i do have a positive win rate that's about the best thing that i can say for it hey that's that's still pretty good I've been making some tweaks trying to figure out what the right balance of cards is. I think I have 10 out of 12 there, but I'm still messing around with the last couple of spots. Arthas, how was your week? Well, I've basically just been uh, focusing on grinding gold, albeit not really grinding all the way to the cap because I don't really have that kind of time. <laughs> I mean, who does? Unfortunately, I mean, I'm not one to actually gold, uh, to grind for gold, even like long ago. I would just play and then the gold I get is like a side effect of it. But uh, now because I have so many cards, so many things to upgrade and try, yeah, I, I really need a lot of gold. Like there's so many level fives I want to level up now, but I only have like 500 gold. <laughs> and oh then, man, can um, someone please help a whale out? <laughs> yeah, it's a broke whale. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've, I've also been having fun with uh, this new Winter Runners deck. Still abusing the Aaron Gift to the Wise trope because, you know, it's still pretty unbalanced and pretty pretty fun. Not really when you go against it. And it's really funny because uh, it was the Merc who made this Winter Runners deck. And he was he was DMing me. He was saying, Winter Runners is, is, is alive. It's back again. And I just laughed because there was only one Winter card in that deck and it's Gift to the Wise. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that sounds about right, given... <laughs> I, I spent my, my first large batch of fusion stones after hoarding them for months now to uh, level up my Ubis to level five. So that's been very fun. Oh, that's spicy. Uh, well, m my week was maybe a little bit uh, less uh, exciting. I did play the brawl as usual. Um, uh, this brawl I've played once before. Last time I had to give up early. Uh, I'm proud to say that I did make it to the Fusion Stones this time. No further, because uh, it wasn't a discounted brawl. <laughs> uh, so I'm just back to my normal thing. Um, we've touched on two important topics already in discussing our weeks. So uh, one of them, Arthas, you discussed uh, w grinding gold and sort of the economy of the game. We're going to get to that a little bit later in this episode. But first, Sabaiku, you mentioned some rather big news so Sheepyard has introduced two new cards to the game. One is available as of now at the beginning of the month. The other will be coming in on October 15th to shake things up in the middle of the season. We have both of them as feline units that play with the confusion mechanic. It's um, unknown how much impact they will have on the meta, but I will certainly say that right now, at least early on, I haven't really seen anybody experimenting with the first card yet. It's a neat card. It's a good standalone card. Hopefully these two new sources of confusion will lead to confusion being a little more viable. It's not something that's commonly used right now. And I think that um, 
This probably isn't enough to tip the scales in its favor, but it might shake things up a little. I would point out that both of them are rare cards, which means that there's a a decent amount of investment that would need to go into these cards, uh, i.e. fusion stones. If you are a, let's say, you know, a gold to platinum or platinum to diamond level player, you would need these to be at a pretty high level. And given that they just came into the game, the odds of you packing enough of them are pretty low. So you would have to put a rather large investment into them. And without it being already an established archetype, that's a pretty big gamble. So that might be part of the reason why we're not seeing too much yet of Sly Boots is just I don't know that anyone is ready to make that level of investment. I think this is more impactful for newer players in the game who are still collecting cards and maybe their odds allow them to collect these cards and there might be some some cool things they can do with it, albeit at the low levels. But um, still, it gives them more of like this uh, excitement from getting new cards, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's possible. At, at low levels, control tends to be pretty difficult. You know, you, you really do want to have uh, uh, cards that can, you know, impact the board more. I'm just thinking, you know, even a Blade Storm at level one or two doesn't actually wipe a board like a level four or five Blade Storm does. Um, so, so. When you play AoE and you still have units to clear, that feels real bad as a control deck. Oh, yeah. I look at these confusion style cards and I think they fit more into a controlling deck. And I don't know that control in general wants to play confusion because you'd much rather have the certain damage from an AoE or even a single target spell like execution. The confusion is random and having that effect be random means you can't rely on it, which is the opposite of what a control really wants to do. Yeah, That's, I, right. That's why they call it control. <laughs> Yeah, I I I, I agree. The, the certainty even of push is uh, more suited to control than uh, uh, confusion is, and no one plays. I shouldn't say no one, but but it's a pretty rare deck to see a, a, a push control deck out there. Um, but we don't want to put too much time into this. Uh, we will also mention that a third card ready for effectively the November first update. Uh, was also mentioned. Uh, its name is Bisanu. It looks like a uh, an Egyptian god dog kind of a thing. We don't know anything about it aside from its artwork. Uh, feel free to go to Stormbound Kitty and check it out in the change log. Well, don't forget that uh, this one actually introduces an entirely new unit type called Ancient. Oh, I stand corrected. Yes, it is an Ancient. Um, uh, more disconcerting is it's an Epic. Uh, so a, it's, uh, ability may be quite powerful, uh, but also, uh, for those of us who play with mostly level three and four cards, uh, it's going to be quite costly to be able to introduce this into any of our decks, but here's hoping. So aside from the new cards, there were also some balance changes, some, uh, nerfs, some buffs and a burf or two. Uh, sorry, MKM, I know you don't want that entering, uh, entering into the lexicon, but I'm going to do it. Dang it. <laughs> so, uh, Subaiku, start us off with the first one. First change is to Dr. Mia, whose ability now affects surrounding structures at level two instead of at level three. This is not a highly impactful change. Honestly, it's the same ability that she always had, but it does make it a lot more accessible if you don't have your collection to the point where you are have where you have level three legendaries. Now this is a style of deck that you could not otherwise play effectively that maybe works for you. Don't forget guys that also they didn't just tweak Mia at level two, they also tweaked her at level four. Instead of the massive power spike at level five where uh, she can trigger 
all structures on the board, all friendly structures, that now happens at level four, one level sooner. It's a that's a pretty big change. Yeah, that is that's true. Actually, anybody who has been playing a Mia deck suddenly has effectively what was level five Mia. Uh, even those who couldn't put the fusion stones or or, or hadn't been playing long long enough. Yeah, for now it, so. now it's kind of weird to incentivize leveling up to five given how many copies you need and how much resources like in gold you need because it only gives plus one strength that's a bit sad but <laughs> for sure <laughs> yeah all right moving on scrap planners uh arthas talk us through scrap planners all right well scrap planners strength uh the initial strength increased by one so instead of uh three to seven strength from level one to five it is now four to eight strength but their ability remains the same, so their uh, strength gets set down to a value one less than their initial. And uh, I've actually been seeing an increased play with Scrap Planners because it, it does make the ability much more reliable when you play the card to like survive the first initial damage to get the value that you want from the card. So I'm actually I'm happy that it's getting a little bit more play now than before. So it's a pretty nice small buff. Just to keep the card uh, relevant, I guess. Yeah, it, it it plays defense pretty well against rush decks now. Uh, so you know, I'm playing rush decks, I've seen it several times and been rather sad. Uh, moving on, booming professors no longer has initial movement. Uh, we mentioned this last time. Uh, we mentioned it two times ago as a desired nerf to the card. So um, glad to see that that happened. And in fact, uh, I would say that the impact has been as desired. I still see it nowhere near as often. It's not uh, uh, everywhere on ladder. And when it happens, it doesn't just sort of automatically tilt the game. So I feel like it worked. I will say that I've run into a couple of aggressive ironclad decks that seemed like they would be running Booming Professors as a, a finisher and now are running uh, Unstable and Hearth Guards instead. So I think it has definitely introduced some variety into the ironclad decks that I, I've been seeing. Which was desired for sure. Okay, so moving on. Siege Breakers? I've seen a ton of this card. <laughs> I really? haven't yet, actually. That's insane. No, I've not seen any okay. of this. Uh, <laughs> okay. I think we, we talked about this last episode because this was something that was leaked a little early. I think it has a lot of utility in very specific brawls, but probably not a lot of play on ladder unless we get into a tower-heavy meta. I guess until then, it wouldn't be as popular as... Uh, despite the massive buff that it got, having movement now and surrounding ability instead of ordering, that's a large, large buff. But I guess it's not enough to uh, attract too many people yet. Or maybe people have not leveled it because it wasn't attractive in the first place. <laughs> All right. Just, just in time for the all spells take uh, a two-mana cut brawl. Uh, Kindred's Grace uh, got buffed. How was that? I did play some of this in the Brawl, actually, with a uh, Azure Hatcher, Reign of Frogs, Toad Spam deck. Um, it, it does do a great job building up the board. I don't think that the more strength to the main target is particularly impactful, but it didn't. Uh, it sure wasn't something that I minded when I was playing it. All right, so here's the next one. Very interesting. Avian Stalker's this uh, uh, buff has been uh, one that was talked about quite a bit in Discord. Arthas, talk us through this. Uh, well, Avian Stalker's mana cost was reduced by one. So instead of costing seven mana, it's now six mana. I personally haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, not yet, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure. It, it's. I think it's something that people would be more 
inclined to play as a fun deck, but not really something they want to invest too much in. I just want to take a moment to say that I love the design of Avian Stalkers. In order to get max value for it offensively, you can't destroy a ton of units. The farther up you play it against your enemy's baseline, the more room you have for units, but the less room you have in front of you to destroy enemy units. And vice versa, if you play it defensively, you can destroy a lot of enemy units, but you can never spawn a ton of units because you're playing it too far back against your own baseline. That's a really interesting design because it means it's never a gargantuan tempo swing that you can never recover from. But I guess one of the things that um, makes it not so appealing is because it's yeah really hard to optimize in terms of the value that you want. Guys, you mean this is a balanced card? It's never going to see play. Wow, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not if it's not completely broken out of balance, who's going to put it in their deck? They made a balanced card. They could cut it down to zero, man. I'm not playing a balanced card. <laughs> Only the OP cards out there. Only the OP. That's all I play. <laughs> all right. Well, apart from that, um, I want to actually move on to the Void Surger's change. Ability now triggers the trigger and the condition. It's changed from bordering to surrounding. So now it just requires two surrounding enemies. And then it just does massive AoE damage to everything around it. I've I've seen a lot of reactions about it in the Discord. And people are saying it's just like a a, a substitute to Toxic Sacrifice now. Basically. Especially, yeah, and it, it's it's really funny. Especially because I, I see it a lot in Equals now. And it's it's freaking it's massive. I see <laughs> it a lot uh, on ladder now. It's crazy. It's crazy good now. I mean, it's always been like decent, but who plays decent balanced cards, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> now right. it is a broken card, and it definitely uh, punishes the positioning from your opponent. And if you can force your opponent to play in a manner that leaves their units bunched up and then drop this, it's game over. Oh yeah, as a control player, I strongly recommend trying this card out. I mean, it, some people might not like it with the lack of movement, but trust me, the ability is so much better. Yeah, this took this took trying to box your units or prevent that sort of horseshoe shape uh, play from just uh, things you had to bear in mind when you were playing against Shadowfen. Now, any controlling-ish style deck that you're facing, you have to be aware of the potential for Void Surgers dropping, right? So you basically have to act like you're playing around Toxac when you play any controlling deck now. All right, so onwards to the hair-raising cats. Ability now triggers from surrounding enemies instead of just bordering only. Uh, we've already mentioned that we're not really sure about confusion and whether or not it's a meta deck, so I don't think we need to spend any time on it. It has been buffed, and we'll move on. Uh, Big Thrust Tigers. Give me this one, Sabaiku. Mana cost is now two instead of three, but the strength has been decreased at every level now from one to five, from level one to five, instead of from three to seven. Uh, that's a, a huge decrease in strength and i don't think that the mana cost decrease is uh enough to offset that it's basically gifted recruits with a conditional movement now i was gonna say saber paws but worse yeah it's definitely saber paws with worse yeah people are pretty sad about this card's change I actually really liked the card at three mana with a higher strength because it was interesting and it was different. Yeah, it was like a, it was like an interesting 
consideration apart from like West Wind sailors because West Wind is um, one strength less. At least this one, it's like, are you willing to sacrifice? Uh, are you willing to deal with the extra condition for that extra strength? And sometimes that is enough to swing games for particular interactions. For sure. But now it's just, it actually, it's just worse gifted and worse saver. <laughs> uh, moving on, Loris, King in Exile. Arthas, talk me through it. So yeah, uh, Loris, its ability strength limits now increased by one. So it used to be a three to seven strength for the ability, but now it's a four to eight. So very excited about this one. As I mentioned from uh, before in the previous podcast, I always felt like the only thing holding back Loris was that, oh, I wish the ability affected just one more strength. And it gave that. So pretty happy with this one. Uh, Dark Harvest, I would talk through this because it's my turn, but uh, Sabaiko's been playing so much of it. Sabaiko, you talk me through Dark Harvest. Dark Harvest now affects surrounding enemies instead of bordering enemies. And this is a huge, huge change. It gives Swarm Control players a lot more utility from this card uh and i've been trying to fit it into a more aggressive swarm rush deck that uses it for chips since dark harvest will hit the opponent's base if you are on their baseline it's a great way to clear the board get some chip damage and then drop some additional units onto the enemy's baseline or rush them in i've been very much enjoying it the deck is kind of all the standard cheap cards except uh forgotten souls in there to uh try to get a little bit additional movement out of cards that don't otherwise move like lawless herd or head start or to help push that extra damage and edric is there just to kind of try to hold some board and uh make sure there's something left to dark harvest the next turn the last couple spots i've been experimenting with i've tried pan heralds to buff the units on the board again just to make them a little more resilient to aoe i've tried mischiefs for additional chip i've tried ubass for additional chip um although that hasn't worked out so well since mine is level three i did just get it up to level three so it pings for two damage every time but uh you know arthur's years at level five might be a little more effective <laughs> yeah i'm actually very interested to play with dark harvest so many people have been posting a lot of like really fluffy screenshots with dark harvest like just completely obliterating the entire board <laughs> I, I really i want to get into that action having some sort of like a talk sack with swarm <laughs> so that would be interesting slightly more though it hits the enemy base though it's true it's true it, it's um... it's worth the extra mana for what it does but it you do lose some flexibility with it because of that right uh, and speaking of toxac moving on uh toxac uh, was uh nerfed up uh to two mana from one however it was also then buffed so it ended up being a burf uh toxac now does two through six instead of one through five damage to all surrounding and of course always poisons um Having been playing mostly Shadowfen again, even though I've been trying to play Sabaiku's Dark Harvest deck, I'm sad to say my Dark Harvest is only level 3, not level 4, so it really doesn't do enough. Um, uh, Toxic Sack, however, is doing yeoman's work. This is not a nerf. Um, while it does require you to balance out the rest of your turn a little bit because of the extra mana cost, it's just, it doesn't matter. Now, now for two mana, I can clear a level five West Wind Sailors. Like, I I'm called happy. it. I called it. 
I called it. I like the damage more than the <laughs> more than the yeah. dislike for the uh, especially because uh, me a control player. This is definitely something you want for control. But for people who are maybe just fitting it into like any shadow fan deck because it's such an auto include, like uh, let's say rush. Yeah, it's not gonna be very appealing for them because it's not like the damage matters for the cut type of playstyle that Rush has. Right, you're just trying to remove the, right the mana efficiency for cycling and to be able to cheaply remove a unit that's in the way for a runner to win. And in those cases, maybe it matters. But so far, it has been so dominating for me. I'm playing a Shadowfen Rush deck. I like it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I admit though that I end up cycling this card more than before. Especially in the earlier turns, because now it is it is double the cost. That is a, a large change. But like that's not enough. That's not enough to offset the kind of benefit it has in the mid to in the mid game and late game when it does just so much damage. Right. There's not a lot of other two mana cards that you would want to play over it, and any one that you would consider was probably already in your deck anyway. So I think it's still fine. Um, we we have a little bit more to get to before we hit our main topic for the day, so we'll just um, say that the friendly matches which we uh, got to leak, uh, the new challenge screens and whatnot, um, uh, have all been launched. You get to use custom rules like uh, we mentioned last time. Uh, they've been flawless. Uh, I've been playing with Sabaiku and enjoying um, playing different Brawl rules, um, but good job with that. And then lastly, the social panel, which gives you access to the Reddit, uh, the Discord server, and of course, Stormbound Kitty uh, came out. Uh, guys, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta. You get 10 rubies just for checking out their pages on those social networks. So do that because that's 30 rubies in your pocket. And uh, the last thing to mention is that they put together a new set, uh, well, a new page in the store for what they're calling vanishing packs, packs that will vanish daily, weekly, or monthly. So you get these uh, different options for, I guess you could call them microtransactions. The daily ones only cost two bucks, the weekly ones cost 10, and the monthly cost uh, 30. And it's your choice of either like rubies and coins and fusion stones or cards. And that's going to bring us to the main point of our episode, because we've already mentioned that uh, Arthas is struggling, even though he decided to whale it up and he got himself a whole bunch of uh, cards. Card bought copies, them. yeah. Yeah, you bought a whole bunch of card copies. And, uh, you know, we, we've also mentioned that there are uh, constraints limiting people's willingness to risk putting uh, uh, resources like fusion stones into sly boots to maybe bring them up to a level that they could play. Um, we want to talk a little bit about the in-game economy in this episode. And I'll start by saying, I, I, I want you to imagine that there's a bell curve and that bell curve has to do with the average level of cards in an account, right? So somebody who just starts, everything is level one or even zero, right? So their average level is less than one. And there's very few people at that point. Now, Sheepyard wants to grow that. They want that portion of the tail to start getting bigger, which is admirable and we agree. On the far end, those are people with all level fives and, and they've got first world problems and we're not too worried about them, although certainly there are considerations for them as well. But our main concern is with everybody who's in the middle of that bell curve, everybody who's got a, a library that is in the works. They're not just starting out because people who are starting out, they've got all kinds of issues with resources, right? It's really hard to, if you're going to be an F2P player, and you're just starting out, you know you're behind the eight ball. It doesn't matter what game you're playing. It's very difficult 
try a different digital card game from this one, Rune Terra, Hearthstone, whatever it be. When you first start out, your resources are limited. If you want to F2P it, that's your prerogative. But you also know that there's a trade-off that you don't have a ton. But everybody in the middle is kind of where we're going to try to target this episode. And there's some concerns that uh, I personally have that for everybody in the middle of that bell curve, who's got a decent library, who's, you know, levels threes and fours, level twos and threes, what have you. If this game is going to be an F2P game, which I believe is the correct decision, and most games like this are, because there's no other way that you can have fast queue times, that you can queue into players of similar level as you without it being an F2P game that is being played by tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even hopefully millions of people around the world. So with that in mind, if this game wants to call itself F2P, I'm taking the position right now that there is an imbalance in the game because you cannot experience the game in its entirety on a monthly basis and be F2P. You have to put money into it, which means this game is almost but not quite F2P. So to talk about what you mentioned about me and my struggles, um, even though I did spend uh, a lot of money to get a lot of the card copies during the anniversary event, I, I was really lacking on the gold to actually make the copies useful, right? And same with my hoarded fusion stones that I got. Um, it's just so hard to grind the gold out. Like not not only does it take a lot of time, but even if you put a lot of time to grinding the gold cap, it just feels so much less than what you would expect for the effort that you're putting in and for the kind of results you get from the gold. So yeah, I definitely feel like the the income in terms of gold it's uh it's very underwhelming. Well, let's 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 put some numbers to this conversation. Sabaiku, can you give us some numbers? Um so let's say we're playing mobile, right? If we're playing on a a PC, we're playing through Steam, we can only earn 10 gold, but if we're playing on mobile, we earn 5 with the option of watching a video, and with that video we can hopefully gain an additional 15 gold, but we lose about 30 seconds. So let's say you're trying to optimize your gold per game. So you're playing on mobile and you're watching the ads and you're getting 20 gold every time you win. Well, how much gold you get per game then very much depends on your win rate. If you're winning half of your games, you end up with 10 gold per game. And then your resource accumulation depends on how many games you can play. So playing a faster deck where you can finish a game in four or five minutes and then watch that 30-second ad is actually much more impactful than playing a slower deck where maybe you win 5% more games, 10% more games, but the games take twice as long. Sure. So let's just go with we're playing a fast uh, uh, a deck. Uh, let's say that fast deck has about a 55% win rate. Let's say the average game, including the uh, uh, the ad, runs us five minutes, which is quite fast, by the way. That's a very aggressive, very fast game. About how long does it take you to earn your daily max for gold? Right. So according to our uh, calculations here, it seems here with the average game like the five minutes, it takes about three hours with the 55% win rate to get the gold cap. Yeah, every day. Uh, so, and the gold cap is 400 gold, correct? Mm -hmm. So on a daily basis, you can earn 400 gold plus your daily quests. It will take you about three hours at a 55% win rate, which is a pretty good tick. That leaves you on a monthly basis of 30 days, give or take 1,200 gold per month. If you're willing- 
12,000, pardon me, 12,000. If you're willing to put 21 hours a week into grinding the gold. Now, in a normal F2P game, that's the trade-off that they ask for of you. Yes, you can experience the entire game if you're willing to grind for gold or for whatever the resource happens to be in that game. And for a lot of people, the answer is sure, I'll go ahead and do that. I'm happy to have got the extra time. I love this game. And for some people, they say, you know what? I want to circumvent the grind. Let me invest the money. And that's where the game starts to make some of their money. A lot of them also charge for uh, cosmetics, but those don't necessarily impact the game as much as it is just cool to have a different card back or a different you know, game board or what have you. The issue that I have is that that 12,000 gold per month, when we combine it with the tier one and tier three rewards that you can get on a daily basis, is going to give you somewhere around 17,000 gold a month. If you treat this as a part-time job where you're spending over 20 hours a week. Yeah. Which is fine. Which, great. And, and look, I, I will personally admit, I try to put as much time in as I can, but I do choose to circumvent some of that F2B, F2P nature of the game by putting money in on occasion. I've put somewhere between, I'm going to guess about 60 to $80 in the game, and I don't regret a single dollar spent, but I am concerned because I have noticed, for example, and Sabaiku, I think you noticed this as well, the matchmaking in Brawl was fantastic during the anniversary event. I will say that during the anniversary event, the Brawl queue times were very short, and I was almost exclusively matched up with somebody at plus or minus one base health of mine. And I think that that was due to just a lot more players being in the Brawl and that was almost certainly due to the fact that the cost for the brawl was so low compared to normal. Under normal circumstances, if you have a 60% win rate in brawl, and if you do, that's awesome. And let's say you wanted to just grind out the brawl, not, not all the way to the top, because to the top is quite expensive. But let's say you want to get about halfway. And halfway would be, let's say, the single legendary reward, right? So that's uh, the sixth rank. What is that? Uh, I would say halfway uh, halfway of 10 ranks would be to the mythic book, which is rank five. Sure. Yeah. But, but, the, but the humble book being free, it's not really... To, to me, to me, the brawl starts after the hump. You can just go in and hit concede 10 times, right? You're not really necessarily experiencing much of the brawl I- I- I to the humble book. Not if you concede 10 times, but it is it is a free-to-play way to experience the brawl. And yes, the rewards are not fantastic. You just get the humble book. And if you win a game or two, you get you get some gold out of a win, just like you would on ladder. But it is a way to experience the brawl and enjoy it, even if it is in a limited capacity. That's fair. That's fair. But either way, the the point I wanted to make was the amount of gold at a 60% win rate to get to the legend pack, the single legend, right, is on a month, uh, almost 11,000 gold. It's 10,900 and change. Doing it every week of the month? Doing doing it for all four brawls. For all four brawls, that's what you're going to spend. There's You're only getting 17,000 gold if those two new cards that Sheepyard introduces are meta impacting. So I don't know if Sly Boots is, I don't know if uh, the, pardon excited me, mousers. Excited Mousers. I don't know if Excited Mousers will be. I hope they are because at the end of the day, I want Sheepyard to be successful. And if Sheepyard is spending development time making cards that no one's going to bother investing in and leveling up and changing the meta with, then what are we doing, <laughs> right? So they better be creating cards that see play. 
that people want to level up to whatever their level happens to be. And again, the majority of players are in the middle of that bell curve. They can't pick up a level one card and start to use it. They have to invest resources in it. So assuming that, if, I, if I'm where I'm at right now, where I'm at right now is my cards tend to be in my decks level four. I have two level five cards in my library. All right. If I want to take those two new cards and invest in them and continue to move level four cards up to level five, I can only play Brawl to the legendary, take those two new cards and level them up. And then I have room for, I have gold enough, including what I got for my diamond pack at the end of last month of 1800 gold. I only have enough gold left over from all of that. If I've been grinding 21 hours a week, I can only level up five cards from level four to level five. A month, right? Right. A month having put in 80 hours plus into the game over that month. Now, I don't play that much. I also don't push up to the legendary. I only go to the 10 fusion stones. That's a trade-off I'm willing to make because that's my time in it. But the idea that we want to call this an F2P game, but F2P players are actually physically shut out from 100% experience in the game. I, I hope this is obvious for a lot of people because it, it really should be that the brawl is not intended to be completed by a large portion of the community. It is definitely like with its like, exponential growth of the uh, the prices and the crowns needed. Um, it's definitely not something that is designed to be completed by most of the people. It's more of like a challenge, especially with the leaderboard bragging rights, right? And it's I think it it's definitely more aimed to the really high commitment, maybe not free to play players who have hoarded a lot. So I wouldn't say that they were locked out of brawl because they're not intended to experience all of it that many times. I want to agree with you, Arthas, on that because the way that Freeloader presented it was as a binary. If you cannot complete the brawl, then you have not experienced it. In the same way, I think you're doing the same thing to the latter experience. If you can't get to Diamond 1, you can't have the full ladder experience. I mean, if my cards are level three and I'm competitive in gold and platinum and that's enough, then that's fine. And then as as I accumulate resources and level up those cards, maybe I will level up into diamond. Maybe I will make diamond one. But to say that I can't experience the game because I can't rank up or complete the brawl i think is false i think that there is a middle ground there where you are experiencing and enjoying the game even though you're not maximizing your progression yeah i guess a bit of a middle ground about that is that obviously like like what you said people don't necessarily all the time want to fully devote themselves into reaching the top of ladder or the top of brawl. Sure, maybe they're all right with staying in platinum or low diamond. And that's, again, that's completely okay, right? Well, but is it? Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. So if if, if I take your logical argument to its completion, let's say 80% of the bell curve simply choose to never push above go, uh, platinum, that they'll, they'll start in gold each month and go to platinum. They don't care to get to diamond. And they won't partake in Brawl past the free card because it's not meant for them. What you've just described is a game that is incredibly boring, especially once you start hitting Diamond, because you're only seeing a tiny percentage of the overall population. Your queue times have gotten excessively large. And if you do try to play Brawl, you're immediately playing against 20 HP opponents because no one else is playing it past the free card. Yeah, uh, let me say I was aware of that... Uh 
that logical implication. I was I was getting to that, <laughs> but um. So the, the other the other thing is, I'm not saying this applies to a lot of people, but definitely there there are definitely some people who are who have their own motives to playing the game. But what if like maybe once they're satisfied with their rank, um, even if that doesn't mean that they're uh, progressing rank wise, they're still getting the uh, progression towards their collection. Maybe they want to more they want to focus more on diversifying their deck so that they so that they can avoid getting bored of the game. Now, the other thing I want to mention is it, it, that's a bit hard for a game like Stormbound and in its current state because it's really hard to feel progression the higher you get, right? I mean, I guess that makes sense, but it just it's just it feels so much slower, especially with the one uh, two cards every month that's going to be happening from Sheepyard now. Um it's going to it's going to be very very hard to like continue to satisfy the player's craving for progression and I really hope that they can find the way to uh, give that sense of like accomplishment better for those who don't want to push all the way. I can tell you there are players that I'm aware of who choose to sit down in Platinum so they can fly through their daily gold accumulation for a large portion of the month before pushing up to Diamond to get the end of season rewards. That level of, of farming is incentivized by the system that's currently in place. There's no other easy way of hitting your gold max. And without hitting that gold max, it gets worse. If you want to participate in Brawl, you either have to choose to do that or level up your cards each month. You know what I mean? Like, to, and, not, and by participate in Brawl, I don't mean just, you know, play to the 10 fusion stones, which is what we do. And we usually spend six to 700 gold. Let, let's not forget that Berzoza personally, multiple times in the Discord server, said that they are aware of this uh, farming issue and they are trying their best to uh, test the different changes that they want to like fix it. But it's a really complicated like fix based on the current state right now. So, so but the, the, the point, farming is a symptom, not a cause of a problem. Far farming is happening because people need gold and, and they can't get enough gold any other way aside from just grinding it out. Like, what more do you want to do? Yeah, I was just trying to think of different ways to to fix the problem, right? The problem is you need a lot of resources and the best way and the easiest way to get it is to play against opponents where you can get easy wins and then just concede so you stay at that rank. If the problem is that you need gold, a way to solve it would be make the gold less important. Either fewer card copies to level up your cards so you don't need to buy as many noble books, uh, less gold to upgrade a card from level four to level five so it's not such a huge investment, less gold per game in the brawl, which uh, to the point we made before drives up engagement with the brawl and allows people to uh, spend the gold they would have otherwise put into the brawl on their libraries and that's that's the one that I like the most because it also lets people broaden their libraries and accumulate resources by getting the rubies from the brawl, the fusion zones from the brawl, the mythic book from the brawl uh, with with a little less expenditure. My concern, though, is that trivializes gold as a resource. Oh, I mean, there are look, right now the game as it is, there is a trade off between spending your resources to broaden your library or spending your resources to progress your cards 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Some people choose to spend all their gold on leveling up their cards. Some people choose to spend all their gold buying noble books to get more card copies. And and I, like I suspect most people, prefer to uh, do a mixture of both every month. And it does always feel like I'm broke because I never have a ton of gold, but I'm always putting it towards something. I'm always getting something for it. And yes, I'm not maximizing how far I can go in the brawl, but I'm playing it enough that I get a good experience of it and I enjoy it while I'm playing it. And I stop before it stops being enjoyable because I run into people that really outlevel me. I want to finish this conversation by giving you a thought of where Sheepyard seems to want to bring this game. Brizoza has already said they want to introduce a new card at the beginning of every month and a new card in the middle of the month. They hope that those two will shake up the meta. If that's true, they're cards that are actually powerful enough that you want to start playing them immediately upon their release. You need resources for that. You need gold. You need fusion stones. Yeah, the only thing we can really do is if we do come up with like uh, different ideas to increase the uh, amount of resources you get with your uh, by playing the game, then yeah, we should totally share them as much as we can. It's just not that easy of a thing to like come up with. So most of us would just have to put our faith on Sheepyard. I mean, they do have like a two-year roadmap planned from the interview. So um, they're definitely not done with any of the implementations. They're just uh, working on doing them one or two at a time. Oh, no, I totally agree. It's going to take some time, right? We have to put our faith in them. We don't really have a choice other than that. I think we can all agree that a major portion of the player base is not entirely satisfied with the current economy and how much it's restrained and how much it's asking from us, free to play or not. It's definitely not something that everyone's satisfied with. And we just got to hope that the developers and people who are willing to contribute ideas is eventually going to fix that. But as of now, this is this is what we're uh, dealing with, something we're struggling. And uh, hopefully the developers can find some ways. I mean, I want this to be fixed. I want this game to to grow the way that Brzoza described it growing. I just I just hope that they realize that along with all of these new shiny things, we need some way of, of affording it. And I think, surely, I'm pretty sure they're aware, especially with a lot of the Discord talk. But let's go ahead and find a conclusion to this uh, episode and let's end on a positive note i heard that there's actually been a recent feedback via email i would like to say thank you to everybody listening we appreciate the audience please write us at thebroodsages at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you we would love any sort of feedback positive or negative but if it's going to be negative please try to be constructive about it we don't want our feelings hurt <laughs> we got a feedback from listener concrete donal who said just wanted to email to say i'm really happy to have discovered your podcast i'm a longtime hearthstone player who has grown bored of the game and picked up stormbound about a year ago i've only been playing casually so far but i am now comfortably reaching diamond each season as a 15 hp base with a swarm deck oh awesome I'm interested in improving my game to aim for Diamond 1, but feel I've hit the ceiling in terms of improving on my own. Thanks to your podcast, I've joined the Discord and am hoping to make some friends on there that I can talk Stormbound with and get advice from. It's fantastic to see that's exactly what we are trying to promote. We're trying to get people together so they can talk about the game and improve and just have more fun. 
And Concrete, uh, if you haven't already reached out to me in the Discord server, please do so. You'll see me there fairly regularly. Uh, I go under the name Dadloader in there just because I'm old. <laughs> um, but feel free to reach out to me. Also, this past week, we received uh, uh, comments uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, this, uh, oddly enough, from MKM. Uh, who, uh, of all, what are the odds that MKM is leaving us a uh, review? Uh, you'll have to tune in next week to see why uh, I'm saying that. Uh, and he says, I really, really hope the word buff doesn't become a thing. You Amazing the interview. Burf, you mean. Burf. Sorry, burf. The word Name burf. I can't even read. <laughs> amazing interview skills, amazing openness from Brizoza, and an amazing time boxed recap with Freeloader, Sabaiku, and of course, Arthas. Uh, MKM, thank you so much for the shout out. That was awesome. Uh, and we are humbled that somebody of your stature within this community even noticed that we're around, let alone took the time to listen to a 50 plus minute episode of our little podcast. So thank you. And guys, I think with that, we're just going to wrap this one up. Uh, this should be about an hour and a half, I think, by the time Sabaiku's done cutting it all the way down. <laughs> we'll see what it ends up being. <laughs> we'll see what it ends up being. I'm just as excited as all of you at home. Uh, but uh, until then, this is Freeloader uh, speaking for Sabaiku and Arthas. And the three of us are wishing you a happy week on Ladder. And remember to stay hydrated.